So we are continuing through our our time reflecting on this characteristic that God has called us to at Broadway, this calling to be a church of uncommon unity. Would you say this with me again? We are a diverse community brought together by our shared experience of the love of Jesus, our King, by expressing our spiritual gifts and by welcoming each person as a unique bearer of God's image. One of the main ways that we're called to express uncommon unity is through using our spiritual gifts. In letters of Paul and Peter, we read about spiritual gifts. Uh, The teaching in these letters is that God gives each believer, each follower of Jesus, a gift, a unique ability to serve the church. And this is one of the ways that we're called to express our uncommon unity, that each of us is to know and to exercise the unique gift that God has given to us, that we serve God by using this gift and we serve others by using this gift. I just want to say a few things about spiritual gifts just to sort of clear the ground and and to give some clarity about what we're talking about when we talk about spiritual gifts. Uh, First of all, this is a definition that um, I put together. This isn't like directly from the Bible, but I think it helps to understand what Paul's talking about when he talks about spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is an ability given by God to the believer that, when used— builds up the church, and produces spiritual and eternal benefits in the lives of others. A spiritual gift is an ability given by God to the believer that, when used, builds up the church and produces spiritual and eternal benefits in the lives of others. In the letters of the New Testament, in particular, in the letters of Paul in Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4, Paul gives some examples of spiritual gifts, these abilities that have been given to people by God that when we use them, it builds up the church. And this is a list of uh, some of the, or all of the gifts that are are listed in the New Testament. Um, I would say that this is not an exhaustive list. Um, in no, not a single, in not a single letter does Paul list all of these. These are examples. When he's writing his letters, he's giving examples of spiritual gifts. But when we put all of them together, these are the, the 20 or so gifts that Paul references. There are, I think, other gifts that God gives, other abilities that God gives to other people uh, to build up the church. But these are the ones that are listed um, in Paul's letters. A second thing that I wanted to mention, and some of you might not have any idea what this is about at all, but I just want to say really clearly that here at Broadway, for those of you who may have a question here at Broadway, we believe that all of the gifts of the Spirit are continuing to be given by the Spirit, that none of them have stopped. Um, There are certain teachers out there who claim that some gifts um, have stopped for certain reasons that we won't get into today. I just want to be really clear here at Broadway. We believe that all of the gifts of the Spirit are continually to be given by the Spirit to be used uh, for the sake of the church. Um, Our scripture reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'd like to ask um, Cindy and Roland Stuckey to come forward and to, uh, to read that for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. 
to another a message of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So this uh, section that uh, Roland and Cindy just read for us from 1 Corinthians 12 is the beginning of actually a long teaching that Paul offers to the church about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14 are all teachings from Paul about spiritual gifts. And so I would say that if you're interested in diving in this on your own, this is a great place to start. If you're in a small group this week and you want to go deeper into understanding spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 would be a great place to start. Paul begins this section, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, by saying that he does not want them to be ignorant about the spiritual gifts. In the city of Corinth at this time, there were at least 12 different major shrines or temples dedicated to other gods or goddesses. The people in Corinth and really throughout the whole Roman Empire were very interested in spiritual things, interested in the divine, interested in gods and goddesses. Uh, actually, one of the earliest accusations of Christians by the Romans, one of the reasons that Christians were persecuted is because that people believed that they were atheists because they denied the existence and power of the gods, but declared one God, the father of Jesus. So people in Corinth were interested in spiritual things. There were lots of gods in the city that were acknowledged and worship. The vibe in Corinth might have been something like, I'm very spiritual, but I'm not religious. Open to spiritual things, open to God or gods, open to spiritual experiences. And it seems that in the church in Corinth, among followers of Jesus or people who were curious about Jesus... There were groups of people who were having these powerful spiritual experiences, things like miraculous healings and speaking in tongues and, and other uh, miraculous powers. And so Paul is writing to that situation in Corinth, and he wants to be sure that the church in Corinth is not ignorant about spiritual gifts. He wants them to know that the spirit of Jesus is at work among them, giving gifts to people to do supernatural work, to perform miraculous works, to give them guidance and to know that these works are from the Holy Spirit and to discern when they may be coming from some other spirit. So Paul begins to give some instructions to them here in chapter 12 about how to discern the gift of the Holy Spirit and how they should operate in the life of the church so that they can notice when these powers or these outward manifestations are coming from some other spirit. But what I want you to notice is that in this teaching about spiritual gifts, Paul begins not by talking about the gifts themselves, but by talking about God who gives the gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit that distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. 
There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. The priority, the first thing, the focus is always on the giver and not on the gift. Always on the giver and not on the gift. And this seems to be part of the problem that was happening in the church of Corinth at this time. There were people coming into the worship gatherings, performing a lot of outward signs and miracles, speaking in tongues, all of these very noticeable, outward, flashy-looking things. And the people in Corinth were curious about them. Do these things come from God? I'd like to be able to do that too. And so over the course of this teaching on spiritual gifts, Paul is clear to say that these outward, powerful manifestations of the Spirit are real, that they are good, and that they can edify the church. But when they become the focus, when they become the priority and the goal, they become a distraction and they become dangerous. We talked about idolatry a couple weeks ago. An idol is a good thing that becomes unhooked from God and then becomes the focus or the main thing. And the gifts of the Spirit in Corinth were becoming idols. They were getting unhooked from God's purpose for them and were becoming the focus and attention of the church in Corinth. So when Paul begins to teach about spiritual gifts, the first thing he does is turn our attention, their attention, away from the gifts themselves and to the giver of the gifts. Our unity, our uncommon unity, always begins with God. We began this whole series on uncommon unity by focusing on God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That in God's own divine being is perfect unity. And and as God is at work in the world, it is this perfect, harmonious work between Father, Son, and Spirit that we are experiencing when we receive the gifts and exercise them in the church. And that's how Paul begins his teaching here about the spiritual gifts, by turning our attention to God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and reminding the church in Corinth that this is his Work. Verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit that distributes them. First thing I want to say here as we look at verses 4 through 7 is that we can put, a lot, put aside or avoid a whole lot of division and conflict about the gifts if we focus first on what's most important, the giver himself. The Holy Spirit is the gift who gives gifts. The Holy Spirit is the personal presence of God that you and I are given as followers of Jesus. And sometimes there can be a focus on the gifts or what gifts that I have or making sure that our gifts are being used that we miss the gift, the personal presence of God in our lives that we are called to pursue and to know. So Paul begins this discussion on spiritual gifts by focusing on the one Holy Spirit, the personal presence of God who gives gifts to the church. Verse 5. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. In the life of the church, there are many different ways to serve, but there is only one Lord to serve. There are many different ways to serve, but only one Lord to serve. And we each have our own way to serve our one Lord, Jesus. 
When we are using our gifts rightly, we don't serve ourselves first. When we're using our gifts rightly, we aren't even serving other people first. We're serving Jesus, our King. When we offer our spiritual gifts to the world, when we are serving the church with the abilities that God has given to us, our offering is first and finally to our Lord. There are many different ways to serve, but there is only one Lord to serve. So if God has given me the gift to preach, then my priority each week as I prepare and as I stand here is to serve him, not myself and not you. My first and final goal is to serve him. And that's a really easy thing to say, and it's a really hard thing to do. It's very easy to say that our offerings should be offerings to King Jesus first, but we know how quickly King me can get in the way. But that is our calling, to offer our gifts first and finally to Jesus. That our diverse gifts in the church, the various ways that we come here to serve, will be used in service to one Lord. It is possible. In fact, it's very normal to have a spiritual gift that is used in service to the wrong Lord. Myself, some other thing, spiritual gifts can be used wrongly. We must always be moving our attention to be sure that this gift is being offered not to serve myself first, but to serve Jesus. Verse 6, there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Early in this, earlier in this letter, Paul has warned the Corinthians that their desire to be followers of charismatic leaders. I follow Paul, you follow Apollos. There's this tendency in us to want to be associated with charismatic or powerful leaders, to be a part of a movement that's making an impact so that we can feel that we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. And Paul addresses that desire in us, and he reminds us that any true work, any work that is going to last for eternity, is work that God, God does, not any person, no matter how charismatic or gifted they may be. And God knows what he needs. He knows each one of us particularly. He knows what you need. He knows what I need. And he is at work in my spiritual gifts to benefit you. And he's at work in your spiritual gifts to benefit me. He is the one at work in our lives. And he knows each church particularly. He knows what Broadway needs right now. I want to say to you that he has brought you here right now because you have something to offer to this community that we need. God is the one who has work. He is the one who has brought you here, and you have something to offer to this community that we need. So let's talk a little bit about discerning our spiritual gifts. How do we know what our gifts are? How do we find out what our spiritual gifts are? This is a very important question. How do I know what my spiritual gifts are? But before I talk about it, I want to come back to a point that I made a moment ago. How do I know what my gifts are? That's an important question, but it's not the most important question. The first question is, am I walking with God? In my own life, in my service to the church, in the way that I'm serving others, am I in step with the Holy Spirit? Is the focus of my life on the giver? In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is teaching about prayer. 
And he says this very interesting thing. You maybe already saw the, I gave away the answer and the fill in the blank, but I think this is important. Jesus says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a scorpion instead? Or give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give? And you kind of think he's going to say good gifts to those who ask. If you who fathers who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And that's true. But what Jesus says is, how much more will the father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's a good thing to be curious about what our spiritual gifts are. And if you are earnestly seeking those gifts in order to serve him, in order to be of service to your one Lord, what you will find is that the first thing you will receive is the giver himself. The first thing you will receive is the personal presence of God in your life. But how do we know? How can we discern the gifts that God has given to us? What I suggest first is through the words of others. Pay attention to what others say to you about your gifts. When I was 15 years old, um, I was a part of a, a youth development program in our church, and I had to have a sponsor from my church who went with me to, uh, to this conference. And his name was Mark Adams, and Mark went with me to this conference and, and came back and um, began to speak to, uh, we gave a report of what this conference is all about. And um, as Mark was speaking about me to my church family, what Mark said to me almost 30 years ago, <laughs> what he said to our church was, I noticed this weekend that when Ryan speaks, his peers listen. And that stuck with me in that moment, has stuck with me now for 30 years. And it helped me to know that part of my gifting in the world is leadership. That when Ryan speaks, his peers listen. And so I want to encourage you that your words of affirmation and encouragement are important to your brothers and sisters. Naming the gifts that you see in them are important. I think this is an important practice in your small groups in particular. These are people that you meet with once, two, three, four times a month for you to be quickly, readily, eagerly sharing with one another. Here's what I see in you. Thank you for the ways that you so quickly serve, for the ways that you so quickly help. I think that you may have a teaching gift. Every time you speak, I want to I listen to you. I want to hear what you have to say. Be very quick to share with your brothers and sisters what you see in them. And then I want to say that if you receive one of those words, receive it. <laughs> I think so quickly we have this false humility. No, that's, that can't be me. Receive that word, consider it. Maybe that is a word from the Lord to you in that moment to help to reveal to you what your spiritual gifts are. A second question, what bothers you? There may be some need out in the world. There may be some need in the church, something that you see happening and you think, why isn't that thing done yet? It seems so obvious to me. I want to suggest to you that that could be a clue, that God has given you something, some burden for something, that your gift could then be used 
to address. A third question, what are you passionate about? What interests you? What work are you drawn to? The passions that are in your heart are not an accident. Pay attention to to that as you're seeking to discern what your gifts are. What has God given you a passion about? Sometimes there are, you know, Moses stories where God calls somebody and Moses says, I do not want to do that. I have no interest in doing that at all. Sometimes there are Jonah stories where God calls Jonah to Nineveh and Jonah says, There's, I'll do anything except for that. Please, Lord, send someone else. That is true. And he may do that in your life. But I think more often, more often we have Isaiah stories. Here I am, Lord, send me. I'm ready. People like Paul and Silas and Timothy who had this passion to see the gospel go to the world and they went. They had a passion and that passion led them then to use their gifts. So I'd encourage you to consider what are you passionate about? That may be a clue, a hint about what your spiritual gifts might be. And then this last one, to be really careful about this one, but I think, I think there's something to it. What comes easy for you? Of course, serving Christ is never easy in one sense. There is sacrifice required. There's giving up our time and our energy and our resources. There is blood and sweat and tears and conflict with other people that's really hard when we serve Christ. In one way, using our gifts is never easy. But Jesus also said... Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest, because my yoke, the work that I've called you to do, is easy, and my burden is light. The yoke, the work that God has for you, is an easy yoke. That is to say, it's not forced, it's not frantic, and it's not always frustrating. Those are three words that I thought were really appropriate to make this point. They're not forced. Your work is not forced, frantic, or frustrating. Think about the work that you are offering to God right now. Does it feel forced? Does it feel like you're having to coerce other people to participate? Do you feel like you have to twist other people's arms to join along? Are you doing all the plowing and all the tilling and all the planting and all the watering? Or are there others in the body of Christ who are eager to come alongside you? Is the work that you're doing, does it feel frantic? Do you feel like the work that you are doing is always the last thing that you get around to doing? And does it feel rushed? Does it feel like you never have enough time to do it? Is there a sense of dread or panic in your chest when you think about doing it? I suggest to you that may be something to pay attention to. Is it frustrating? Do you find yourself hating what you're doing? (laughs) Do you find that there's never any fruit that's coming from it? Is the work that you're doing now forced or frantic or frustrating? This may be a clue that the gifts, that the work that you're doing and the gifts that you're offering may not be the spiritual gifts that God has given to you. Let me be clear. Our work for the Lord is not always a walk in the park. Service for the Lord always comes with blood and sweat and tears and sacrifice and suffering, and in some cases, even, even death. But hard work and dedicated service and suffering are different from forced, frantic, and frustrated. 
Let me say that again. Hard work, dedicated service, and suffering are different from forced, frantic, and frustrating. Maybe a very hairline difference, but it's all the difference in the world. And I think you know what I mean. It's not always easy. It does often lead us to suffering, but it shouldn't always feel forced and frantic and frustrating. The work that Jesus has called you to is an easy yoke. So those are some of the ways that we've been called to discern our spiritual gifts. I would suggest to you that you can learn to discern your spiritual gifts. I also want to say that it's very important to practice your spiritual gift. If you know what your spiritual gift is, you are called to give yourself wholly to it. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. He says, Do not neglect your gift that was given to you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them. Timothy, God has given you gifts. He has given you leadership ability. He has given you the gifts of preaching and teaching. Be diligent in them. Give yourself wholly to them. Practice them. Become proficient at them. A spiritual gift that is neglected will die. Simply because it is a gift given to you by God doesn't mean that you don't need to learn to be competent in it. There are people in this room who have gifts of teaching, people in this room who have gifts of intercessory prayer, people in this room who have gifts of leadership and service and mercy. But just because you've been given that gift doesn't mean that you don't need to learn how to use it and learn how to use it well and to practice and to to train and to learn how to use it in a way that is useful and, and edifying to the church. So I encourage you today that if you know what your spiritual gift is, to consider, am I giving myself wholly to this? Am I being diligent to it? Am I practicing it? Am I learning how to use it well? I just want to finish today with um, this wonderful verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Paul says this, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To each one. Each one, each one, each one, each one, each one. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Your unique gift is given to you to play your part in building up the church. The diverse gifts that all of us have to contribute to the uncommon unity here at Broadway that God has called us to. We each have diverse gifts. You don't own all of the gifts, but you do have a gift. Each one of us has different gifts. You know, in a couple months, believe it or not, like two months, you're going to wake up in the morning, there's going to be gifts around the tree. Some of them are going to have your name on them, but not all of them, right? There are some gifts that have other people's names on them. And unless you're a really, really selfish person, you're glad that some of them have somebody else's name on them. Each one of us receives gifts. And for some of you, it's a good reminder that not all of the gifts are yours. There is good work that needs to be done in the church that you can't do. 
There's work in the church that isn't yours to do. Work, gifts that need to be exercised that do not have your name on it. And some of you need to hear that. You see needs in the church and you see needs that other people have. And you take these burdens on you to make sure that all of those needs are met. All of those jobs are done. Just want to say to you today that all of the gifts are not yours. All of the needs are not yours to address. And for some of you today, it's important for you to remember that not all of the gifts are yours. You can't do everything and you need to trust that God is going to take care of those things. For the others of you, the problem is the opposite. You don't believe that God has given you a gift at all. Maybe you think that you're too messed up, that you failed far too many times, that God would never want to use you because of who you are, because of what you have done. Maybe you were told by somebody that you're worthless and that you don't have anything of value to give. I want to say to you this morning, do not believe that lie. He loves you. And not only has he given you the greatest gift of salvation through Jesus, he has also given you a gift, an ability for you to use to serve him, to make your own contribution, to build up the body of Christ. Our church is less when you aren't using that gift. We all get to make a contribution to the good of the whole. Now, I said earlier that Paul's teaching on spiritual gifts spans 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. It's a very long teaching on the gifts, what they are, how God uses them, how we discern them from uh, other kinds of gifts or abilities, or the way that those are being used to serve some other Lord, how we can discern those things. But I just want to notice as we finish, which chapter is right in the middle of this teaching on spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what we know as the love chapter. The chapter where Paul describes what love is. It's very familiar to us. You've probably heard it read at a wedding somewhere. That chapter that describes love and how we express love from one to another comes right in the middle of Jesus' teaching about spiritual gifts. And I think that's really special for us to consider. That the way we offer our spiritual gifts is always to be done in love. And so I want to finish today by reading this chapter for us. And to consider it in light of this context of Paul's teaching on the spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want to show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others, and it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love 
never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Chapter 14, verse 1. So, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Amen.